Hello and welcome to This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life. I'm Scott Interante and I am joined today by Mike Monaco. He is the guitar player for the band Cryptodira. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is awesome. So this is you know, a podcast about musical taste and why we love the music that we love. And one way that I like to get into that is by starting early on in your journeys. Do you have a memory of like, what was your first favorite song? It's tough to say. I mean, really, really, really young. I remember, I remember liking NSYNC when I was really, really, really young. But now that I'm thinking back to it in third grade, I had the Creed record with bullets on it. Oh yeah. Weathered. It's unbelievable. That song is so heavy and so cool. But the I, I think the right answer is really ACDC. And I think the record's Power Age and the song is probably Riff Raff. That's like the first like, man, music is awesome. Right. right. What do you do you have like a specific memory of hearing that for the first time? I got into ACDC. My dad is never a big ACDC guy, but loved adjacent music. Big UFO guy. Alice Cooper, kind of same, who is, that's one of the best shows I've ever been to seeing Alice Cooper still, even at the age of 65 or whatever the hell he was when I saw him. Unreal. Yeah. I don't know what the circumstance exactly was, but I imagine it was on a CD player because I, you know, had gotten into the hits through radio and then I was buying CDs. I'm a big physical media guy. Still am. Always have been. Uh, I guess Power Age, I really like the cover. And uh, uh, that track just clicked with me. I, I think it's that the main riff that really, really hooked me in. And the whole song's so dope. And uh, yeah, that is my youngest memory of that song in particular. Yeah. And then when you were learning guitar, is is that the kind of stuff that you were mostly interested in? I mean, I know you sort of mentioned NSYNC in, in a passing. And I wonder if, you know, was that strain of pop music still going on for you? Or were you like, no, I'm into classic rock? I Yeah, it was definitely, I had a couple of years where I was real annoying. I would say there was like two years where I was real annoying and I was like, it's ACDC and it's Slipknot and it's nothing else. And, you know, kind of music around that. And then <laughs> right. and then my dad got me into Dream Theater and Porcupine Tree. Oh, yeah. Um, and Porcupine Tree opened me to Opeth, which is who we're talking about today. Um, but right. they, they also really opened me up to a whole world of pop music and prog rock. And Opeth opened me up to a whole world of prog rock as well, as well as death metal. <laughs> Uh, Joni Mitchell and uh, a lot of other uh, the the Opeth rabbit hole is it's big and uh, it's gotten me into a lot of music, which has gotten me into a lot of music, which, you know, it perpetuates itself over and over and over again. Yeah, I am interested to see if we can connect the dots between the Opeth and the Joni Mitchell. Oh, easily. If easily. <laughs> uh, well, so the uh, and that was one that uh, not at a young age did I make that connection, but I want to say it was four years ago, maybe somewhere around there. And um, I was watching one of those what's in my bag YouTube videos mm. and I, I watched like two or three with different Opeth members and every single one had a different Joni Mitchell record in there kind of like, oh, and here is a great record. Wow. Court and Spark, Blue. And there might have been one other one. I was like, I, I, I got to check this out. I know um, Hey Paradise. I know that. I know some stuff on Blue. I, I, I don't really know what the correlation here is. And I listened and it's pretty immediate and it's uh, an experimenting with open tunings and a lot of the kind of cleaner stuff. You could probably hear the influence right. 
a lot more now, but you still can hear it on some of the older stuff and the open open tunings and experimenting with different chords. The melodic right. sensibilities are kind of very similar. And I, I heard it immediately when I listened to Court and Spark and I was like, this is incredible. And the second that I got into it, I, uh, I texted my mom and I was like, I'm so mad that you and dad never got me into Joni Mitchell because it's adjacent <laughs> to a lot of the stuff that they listen to. Yeah, you know, I had a similar thing recently. My mom is from Texas mm. and past, you know, five or six years, I've gotten a lot more, more into country music and, and the kind of like classic, sure. you know, Texas artists. And and I had the same conversation with her a few years ago. I was like, how did you not get me into Roy Orbison? Or oh, whatever, you know, I, uh, I just got into Roy Orbison through a Orville Peck what's in my bag. Oh, Orville Peck is great. Oh, yeah. so good. So good. I would say that Guitar playing got me into some country stuff, specifically bluegrass stuff. Tony Rice is un- unreal. And uh, my fiance is into a lot of um, 60s uh, country singer-songwriter. Yeah, like a Patsy Cline. Patsy Cline, sure. That kind of stuff. Yeah. It's it's so interesting, like, the relationship we have to music with our parents. You actually mentioned your dad a few times earlier. Yeah. Was that always, like, a kind of... Uh, a gateway or or funnel for music for you? Yeah, he's he's been a big uh, figure in my life for getting into music. And I would say that he definitely uh, has introduced me to at least like the foundations of a lot of different genres that I like. And then I would branch out on my own because of the internet or other stuff that he showed me because of it. Yeah. So to switch gears a little bit, you're in a band, obviously. Yep. Do you find that like the kind of music that you make with your band and the kind of music that you listen to when you're on your own, does that have total overlap, partial overlap? You know, how, how do you think about it when you're creating music? How do you think about it in comparison to like your taste? I always think about something that Alex Lifeson said when, when he was asked who his favorite band is, he said, Rush, because why wouldn't I make my favorite music? <laughs> And that was always stuck with me. Yeah, of course. And it's a little bit different when you have to collaborate with other people. So there's a lot of compromises that have to be made. But ultimately, I can kind of mold things to a certain extent the way that I want. And and it, it does always have a lot to do with what I'm listening to, you know, whether I come back from a show or I'm like really heavily into a record and I'm, I'm influenced by something, even if it's subtle, if I point it out, you can probably hear it, but it still has a cohesiveness. I would like to think in terms of what makes sense with the genre. Yeah. That's why we play a relatively experimental type of death metal where we can kind of be melodic and clean and lush right. and then be really heavy too. Yeah, Totally. So when you are listening to a song or, or any music, is there something in particular that, you know, really excites you regardless of the genre? I pay attention more consciously to rhythmic stuff as opposed to melodic stuff. I, I catch that more. I think the melodic stuff that I cling on to is more subconscious where, you know, maybe a key change or just like a chord progression I like, but I'm kind of like, I'm not looking for it as much as I, I, I hear something rhythmic and I'm like, oh, they're doing that. That's really, really cool. So it's really hard because it's so different with different types of music because the other thing is structure is like, I feel like it's a whole other episode of this show almost where it's like you could spend an hour and a half, two hours talking about structure, you know, and different ways that people approach the way that they structure songs. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm curious if you have any like particularly memorable or exciting experiences seeing music live uh, Uh, or something that really, 
you think had like it, not just like, oh, wow, that was great, but something that really had an impact on how you listen to or make music yourself? I, I love all these questions. And I feel like each question I could elaborate on for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think the first thing that comes to my head is uh, I've seen King Crimson twice and uh, the way that they kind of like uh, take songs that King Crimson as a group has written before Fripp and whoever else was in the band at that point. And they kind of like cater it to their, uh, the eight piece that they are now it's, it blows right, me right. away. And like, it's like a dynamic masterclass too, where everything is so quiet or so loud. And, and the way that it's transitioned between the two is so perfect. It, it is kind of like a religious experience seeing King Crimson and you're sitting down in your seat and it's nice and it's, it's unbelievable. When I was younger and seeing Opeth for the first few times I've seen, it's always unreal. I get lost in the music and like they're a band that doesn't move around a lot. Uh, neither does King Crimson. So aesthetically, it's not, uh, I never grasped on to, uh, to that with those bands, but they've been too kind of like, uh, you feel the music and you hear kind of like the dynamic more with King Crimson than Opeth, not taking anything away from Opeth. I just think King Crimson's on a whole other level than a lot of other bands and then more from a visual standpoint or a showcase standpoint i mean you know i i'd seen dillinger before they broken up like i think i've seen dillinger 21 times wow and which is which is nuts but it would be a thing where they would come around and they would play two or three shows in new york city every tour and i'd be like i'm going to all of those shows because every night yeah. uh someone would do something reckless or insane and and they caught me right at the right age where i was like 14, 15. So I was kind of in the mix as opposed to now where I'm kind of sitting back a little bit more and kind of just uh, being more of an observer. I just saw Def Heaven a couple nights ago and they put out uh, that new record, Infinite Granite, which is like, you know, I'm, I know other people are like this, but I don't know if you are. You'll you'll get really, really into it and you'll be like, man, this is like one of the best things I've ever heard. And then, you know, you you kind of like, you latch onto something new or you, you grab onto something old and then you kind of lose that for a little bit until you come back to it. This is one that like kind of listened to every day since it's come out. And I, uh, I wonder, I was, I've been voicing this the last couple of days. I'm like, I wonder if, you know, in 10 years from now, I go, this is like a top 10 record all time for me. And so I got to see them play half that on Tuesday. And so that is maybe in hindsight, something that I'm going to really look back on and be like, man, that's a perfect record. I got to see them at a perfect time. And then, yeah, spectacles in terms of pop shows are great too, or just, you know, really tight death metal shows. So yeah, like I said, loaded question. And there's a lot that I didn't cover <laughs> stuff that I want to see. Like, you know, I'd love to see like a Danny Elfman or someone play like a score or something like that. Like I've never really seen that. I think what's interesting that you mentioned is the relationship between seeing something and then listening to it afterwards yeah. and how almost like your memories of seeing that show can be changed by listening to the music afterwards and loving it. And, and, you know, this relationship where you said like, Oh, maybe in 10 years, I'm going to remember that as like one of the best shows I've ever been to sure. where maybe I didn't even realize that at the time. You know, I think that's interesting too. Yep. Absolutely. I've, I've been thinking about it. I, I almost tried to reschedule tonight to go see deaf heaven in Connecticut tonight because I love Tuesday so much. <laughs> okay. With all of that in mind, Mike, what is the song that makes you scream? This is the greatest song I've ever heard in my entire life. All right. So the song, and I'm going to say the first song, because when you run out of guests, I want you to hit me up again, because I have 10 other songs <laughs> I would love to talk to you about. The first song, first and foremost, is Opeth Deliverance.
Yeah, and and look, I get it. What I try to tell the guests is like, there are, you know, 20 songs that fit this description and we're just talking about one. Yeah. It's a lot of pressure to pick, but this is, this is a great pick. You know, I had a big era where I was into a lot of prog rock and prog metal, but I never really got into Opeth at the time. So listening to this was great because I think at the time I, I would have had a weirder reaction, a more negative reaction to the vocals that now sure. I, I don't care and I'm into it. Sure. People, I even remember at the time, because what I was really big into was Dream Theater and there was a lot of overlap there. Uh, yeah, dude. And people always talked about how I'm going to butcher his name because I, I speak no Swedish, but Mikael Ockerfeld, o- o- the lead vocalist. Yeah, Mikael Ockerfeld. Yeah. You know, everyone always says he has like the most aesthetically incredible screams and and it's growls beautiful. and it's true but it was still like a barrier to entry for me and I'm I'm glad that I'm over that because this song is cool I actually listened to the whole record today which is great I'm curious though you know where does this song come into your life first where it comes into my life I want to say so my dad introduces me to Porcupine Tree I get into Blackwater Park, which is like their big record that broke them out in North America. And through that, I just like, you know, I was a kid that was, there's a, a website called Prague Archives that I was constantly on as a kid. Me and Matt are uh, the oh, drummer yeah. I was talking me, about. Me too. Oh, it's the best. <laughs> I found out about so much cool shit on there. So I'm, I'm surfing Prague Archives and, uh, and you know, listening to all of the opeth I can get my hands on and Deliverance really strikes a chord with me. And it's one that I've seen them, you know, I've probably seen Opeth 11 or 12 times and they've played it probably 10 of those times. It is a, it is a fan favorite and for a very good reason. Yeah. As someone, you know, just listening to it, I I've listened to it maybe four or five times since we talked about you picking this and it's a long song. It's yeah. 13 minutes. It's a lot to absorb, you know? So the thing that jumps out at me immediately is like that final three minutes yeah. yep. where they go into that rhythmic ostinato and the sort of arrangement changes around it, but it's that constant rhythmic pulse in the rhythm section. And it's just great. And the, the harmony around it too is very, it's, it's beautiful. piano chords that come in when that drops that that kind of like melodic undertone drops is unreal and there's a couple things there that ending is the reason why i show this to anyone my dad my fiance uh anybody who's like yeah opeth you know they're uh, you know i show them deliverance and they're like that actually that song is really fucking cool uh and there's a reason for it and it's the ending the ending is like this perfect it's like the perfect end to any song I've ever heard. And and because the rest of the song is really good and flows yeah. really well before then, but it is just like a really good Opeth song. And then it turns into like the greatest song I've ever heard in my life. Right, right, right. So I, I was telling you the structure is something that I really pay attention to with songs. And so this is one that's for the most part through composed. You know, right. there is a riff that comes back uh, once and then, you know, uh, rhythms that we hang on to or whatever. But it's one of those things where I really love a, a really good, thoughtful put together structure that is more like of of like a, a man I've, I've become like obsessed with taylor swift in the last four or five years and the way that she structures her songs are like so sick and and so this is kind of the opposite of that yeah verse chorus verse chorus bridge chorus that like is very you know those songs are harder to write than these through composed songs so like a really tight 
pop song is the hardest thing to write. And part of it is like trusting yourself because, you know, if you're a, a band like Opeth, you can kind of just roll through whatever feels good next. Uh, and, and it's almost like a, you don't want to play anything too long or repeat it too, too much. Cause then people will get bored. It's this like, kind of like thing in the back of your head that you're thinking as opposed to, you know, more pop where it's like themes come back and repeat and like, you know, they trust themselves to these three parts are good enough. This song is unbelievable. You know, we can, right. but this is not that, but it is like the perfect, all of these twists and turns to take. It's the right turn. You know, it's like a perfect storm of that. And then it hits this ending that is like we've talked about, like they know they've got something there so they can drag that out for three minutes. And the way that it goes from that melodic undertone that it repeats four times and the, the melodic undertone's there for three and then it cuts and then it's just heavy at the very, very end. It's got those little piano chords that kind of fade in and out. And uh, it's 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 so sick. It's, yeah. it's so sick. I don't know that I have anything to add to that other than to agree it's so sick. <laughs> it's funny because there are other songs that I can talk a little bit more about when it comes to structure or anything like that. But this is just the one that like, can't really explain it. Everything just feels right. And is oh right. yeah. And yeah. I mean, sometimes that's just what it is. Right. I mean, sometimes you hear a song and it defies analysis or explanation for you. I mean, of course we have dug into some of the, the component parts of what makes the song great, but sometimes it really is just like, wow, like this just connects to me on a, on a deeper level for whatever reason. Yep. hundred percent, hundred percent. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about this song and so many other things. If people want to find you or your music online, where can they do that? The band is called Cryptodira, C-R-Y-P-T-O-D-I-R-A. And I think all our handles are Cryptodira bands. And then uh, you can find me through that. Just either Cryptodira Mike or Cryptodira Mike Punch, I think I am on Instagram listen to the band we'll be on tour in september it'll be great and like i said when you run out of guests let me know because there is at least 20 other songs i'd love to talk to you about oh yeah well now you have me wanting to talk to you about taylor swift so we will definitely uh, make that happen at some let's time. go let's go <laughs> all right well thank you so much and uh we'll talk to you soon yep sounds great Thank you for listening to another episode of This is the Greatest Song I've Ever Heard in My Entire Life. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe, leave us a rating and review, and uh, maybe tell a friend. You can follow us on social media at Great Song Pod. That's GR number eight Song Pod on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok. We post a lot of exclusive fun content, mini episodes, other things like that. So check it out. Big thanks to Catherine and Izzy who helped co-produce this show, to Skylar Spence whose song Kratos and Love is our theme music, and of course to you for listening. Look forward to talking to you next time.